You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. All right, everyone, how we doing this morning? All right, good. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jake, one of the pastors here. If you're brand new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We are on our second week of the book of Colossians, where we're looking at that, unpacking that, trying to figure out what does this mean for us to live out. And to recap us really quick, last week we talked about this church. It's in a mid-sized city. And the big enemy that Paul is trying to tackle right here that's really plaguing this church, does anyone remember what that word was? Starts with an S. Syncretism, very good. That went well. I was very, I was nervous if none of y'all were going to say anything. Yes, the, the answer is syncretism. This is the big enemy facing the church, this idea of bringing these outside ideas and belief systems and ideologies that are foreign to Christianity and to try to blend it together. And like we said last week, when that happens, things go really badly and you begin to erode and distort what the message of Jesus is all about. So Paul, in this letter, he's going to get to all of these ideas and ultimately how they don't hold up and ultimately why they corrupt the message of Jesus. But starting out in this letter, he starts by sharing the story of Jesus and what he's about and what he's done. And so the passage Jay just read for us, we're going to unpack that. And it just so happens to be this story that Paul shares about the message of Jesus just so happens to be one of the densest pieces of theology in the entire Bible. So for all of you big Bible nerds, this is your week, all right? Those of you with big Bible nerd energy, this today is your day, all right? So let's look at verse 15. Talking about Jesus, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So first thing I want to unpack is what does it mean when it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Simply put, it means if you want to know who God is about, you look to Jesus. If you want to know what the universe is about, if you want to know about the person who created everything and everyone, if you want to know the meaning to your life and the meaning of the universe, look to Jesus. He is God made flesh. So already, Paul is trying to recorrect some notions here in the church. He wants to recorrect some ideas that are not really true. And one of those ideas is that the God of the New Testament is somehow different from the God of the Old Testament. All right, that was a belief circulating in the early church that, you know, you have the Old Testament and that guy he's super grumpy and he likes to judge people and there's like bloody sacrifices and all that. But the New Testament, that's the nice God. And we like that guy. And Paul is recorrecting them to say, no, 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 it is the same. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the visible and exact representation of God's character. He's not just a symbol of God or an expression of God. He is fully God. He is this physical representation of a spiritual reality that is beyond our comprehension. The unknowable is made known through Jesus. And Paul is also recorrecting this idea that was like very Roman and Greek at that time. So Romans believed in a lot of gods and you could worship 
whatever sort of God that you want, but they also have this category that there is a God that oversees all of that, but as to what that God is like or who he is, we have no idea. He's just beyond our understanding. He's beyond our human comprehension. That's why in the book of Acts, we looked at Acts last year, Acts 17, Paul goes to Athens to start a church, and he says, y'all have this category for this unknown, invisible God. I'm here to tell you who that God is. His name is Jesus. And so again, when he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it's not lost on them what he's trying to do here. Then there's that next bit in the verse of chapter, 15, or chapter 1, verse 15. It says he's the firstborn of all creation. So to be clear, back then, what does that mean? Back then, there, uh, the society was patriarchal. If you were the firstborn son in a family, you were given authority and status over pow- and power over everything in the household that no one else had. So the firstborn son was an extension of the father's power and authority. Everything the father had, the son had. Now, connecting this to the text, this means when it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, this means when the father speaks, or when Jesus speaks, the father speaks. When Jesus loves, the father loves. When Jesus forgives, he's acting on behalf of the father who has the power and authority to forgive. So to drive this idea even further, look what he says next in verse 16. It says, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be ultimate, that he might reign supreme. So again, it's emphasizing here how Jesus has power and authority over all things. He's fully human, fully God. He created everything in the universe. He controls everything in the universe. And no other God or belief system or idea could ever come close to rivaling what he is about. He is in a category all his own. And then notice verse 18 says he's the firstborn from the dead, Connecting what he says earlier in verse 15, how he's the firstborn over creation. It's this idea, again, bringing up power and authority. Jesus has power and authority over all living things, over all of creation. And he also has power over death. Life and death are in Jesus's hands. They are all under his control. And honestly, that's only like four verses, I think. We could like, we could spend a while just unpacking what all of that means and what that means for our lives for like the next four weeks at least. But we can't get into that. We have more verses to get to. Shameless plug, we have resources connected with each sermon week by week. So that's all on the website. Would encourage you to go there. But we don't have time to get into that. We got to keep moving. But here's the big thing I want us to see. Jesus is fully human, fully God. He is the image of the invisible God, the unknowable made known, firstborn over the living and the dead. All of reality is created, controlled, and embodied by Jesus. And the point of what Paul is saying is Jesus is the place. He is the place where both divinity and humanity meet together. The place where heaven and earth meet together. The way the Bible talks about it is that there are these two realities, these two planes of existence 
You have the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And when you look to Jesus, you see the reconciling, the overlapping of these two realities fusing together as one. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. And if you want to know what it means to be human, to be made fully alive, to be fully human, you look to Jesus. All that existence is supposed to be and everything you and I are supposed to be is found in Jesus, in this overlap of heaven and earth personified in Jesus. And if you grew up in church, you may have heard that a million times over, but I just don't want that to get lost on us, just how uh, incredible that is, that the God of the universe who created and sustains everything for all time at the same time, who is so powerful, who speaks everything into existence, who knows the distant star trillions of miles away, who knows every hair on your head, chose to come down to earth 2,000 years ago to be made flesh, to embody sinful, to um, embody, to live among sinful humanity. He decided to come in human form, which poses the question, why would he do that? Why would the God of the universe decide to become human? And this is what Paul goes on to say in verse 19. Keep reading with me. It says, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in a nutshell, Paul is saying the reason why Jesus came down to earth, the reason why he came embodying full godness and full humanity, the reason why he came as this overlap of heaven and earth was so that he could reconcile or bring together heaven and earth once and for all. If you think about Lego pieces, my family, they are really into Legos right now. What you're doing is you're putting all the pieces together to make it whole, to make it this one thing. These, all of these like, you know, tens of hundreds of pieces of Legos that I find myself stepping on barefoot each and every day, a different one. He's bringing all of this together. Heaven and earth, he is reconciling together in this whole piece And this is the story of the Bible. This is the aim of what the Bible is trying to tell us, the merging of heaven and earth as one. This is the story. And the truth is, um, all of us, whether we know it or not, live into some overarching story for our lives. And it may not be blatant and overt, but all of us live into some sort of story. And I know this is like just uh, very, very basic But thinking about the story of our world, the story of uh, what the world says we are living in, uh, goes something like this, and I have it on a little graphic for us. Uh, The story of the world says something like this. You're born, and then one day you die, and then what happens after that, we don't know. Is there an afterlife? Uh, Maybe. We have no scientific proof of that. Um, Do you come back reincarnated? Uh, Again, we can't prove that, so probably not. But what we do know is that you are born and then you die. And so if that's all we know to be objectively true, then you just got to make the most of that line that you have between birth and death. Just do your best to maximize enjoyment and pleasure and gratification. Try your best to minimize pain and suffering. And, uh, you know, good luck with all of that. And then... 
when I, I grew up in the church, like ever since I was born, I was going to church. And the story that I was told, um, I don't imagine these churches that I went to, that they were like preaching anything false. I think they were teaching the Bible faithfully. So I'm not trying to knock that. I'm just telling you my perception of it was that the story of the Bible looked something very similar, but kind of like this. All right. You're born and you die, but we do know what happens to you after you die. You either go to heaven or hell and heaven is this awesome place and like no more pain or heartbreak or anything like that. And then hell is really, really bad. So which one do you want? So as a kid, it's like, oh, that's a, that's kind of easy, right? I want to go to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. I want that. And the pastor was like, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a good answer. Um, so believe in Jesus. All right, I believe in Jesus. Okay, great. So you're a Christian now, you're going to heaven now, do all these rules. Oh, what? He didn't say anything about rules. Okay, well, you know, I do want to go to heaven, so I guess I got to, like, do these rules. And again, I'm sure the churches I grew up in preached the Bible faithfully. I'm just telling you, this was my perception of it, okay? I'm saying... Uh, they're not the problem. I'm the problem. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me is what I'm saying. And Paul is saying the story of the Bible, the aim of all of this is the reconciling of heaven and earth. And here's the story that the Bible actually paints. This is, this is partially true, but this is like a very, very small picture of what the Bible is trying to accomplish and communicate. So if you're big into graphs, Again, if you have big graph energy here, this is your day. This is your day. The story of the Bible is something like this. The kingdom of God, also Jesus uses terminology like the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, is not just somewhere you go when you die, but it's something that has finally arrived in Jesus. And in page one of the Bible, God created this place for us as human beings to live in. You have the Garden of Eden as this overlapping of these two realities of heaven and earth meeting together, merging together with human beings, living in the reality of what it means to be fully human and seeing and experiencing the fullness of God. So Eden looked something like this, the overlap of heaven and earth, living out what we were designed to live in as image bearers in the first place. And this overlapping of heaven and earth only lasts for a couple of chapters in the Bible, and then sin enters the picture this orientation of the human heart to turn from God because of this decision, human beings are now banished from the garden. And now this overlap of heaven and earth are severed. They are ripped apart from each other. So if you think about the Lego pieces, here's the wholeness. Big graph energy today, I'm telling you. Note takers, take note. Take this Lego piece and then you just shatter it to a million pieces. What was supposed to be this wholeness is now severed because of sin. And so much of the Old Testament now poses this dilemma. Human beings, we are made for this better world. We are made for this better reality as image bearers. We long to be fully human and fully alive, experiencing the fullness of God in this heaven and earth reality. But our sin is the problem. And no matter how hard we try, our sin is still the issue. And we can't get back home to where we belong, the place we were made for. And so now, as human beings, because of sin, we experience this sort of cosmic homelessness. We long for a better world. We long to get back to Eden. But our sin is the problem. So what do we do with that? 
So by the time you arrive to the New Testament, the way Jesus talks about himself and his teachings address this dilemma. He talks about how the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he talks about eternal life, how it's available and existing right there where he is. This is why in large part, Jesus opens up his ministry in the book of Matthew, chapter three, verse 17. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice Jesus does not say repent for the kingdom of heaven is getting ready for you after death. He's saying it's available right now. It's here. It's present. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is right here standing in front of you and it's available to you now for all of you who follow me. And if you're tracking with the drawings, Jesus coming down to earth looks something like this. He embodies, Jesus is embodying the overlap the heaven and earth reality, embodying that in himself. And he's inviting people to be with him and to experience this overlap in their lives right now. So as you're reading the New Testament, as you're reading the gospel stories, his ministry of healing disease, forgiving sin, casting out demons, Jesus is creating these little pockets of heaven on earth. He's spreading the overlap. He's reconciling the heaven and earth realities together. And Jesus, wherever he goes, is living in the overlap of heaven and earth. He's hanging out with sinners, and he's living in a broken world, and he's hanging out with people who seem like they're just on the outskirts of society, people whose sin seems so far gone. Jesus is approaching them, saying, look, heaven is not too far from any of us. It's available to everyone who chooses to follow me, to live in this space right here, right now. Eden, fellowship with God, is not too far from anyone. He even teaches his people to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Essentially saying, uh, pray that this overlap would occur more and more in your lives and in your community and in the world. And that's what Colossians 1.20 is getting at, that the cross is more than just your sins are forgiven and now you're going, now you know where you're going when you die. That is all true and the cross becomes the place where the human dilemma is finally resolved. The cross becomes the place where sin is absorbed and you and I are cosmically reconciled back to God. What sin had fractured and destroyed in a million pieces through the cross, Jesus is reconciling these two realities back together, heaven and earth, and you are invited to step into that. So do we go to heaven when we die? For sure, yes, and That is not the emphasis of the Bible story. Rather, the emphasis is how heaven and earth are now being reconciled to Jesus. And this means through faith in Jesus, through following Jesus, you now, you right now, get to experience the overlap of heaven and earth with Jesus. That the kingdom of heaven is not just a place set out for you in the future that is available to you when you die one day, heaven is a reality that you can experience right now with Jesus. It's a way of life he invites you into. And through his spirit, he is in the process of not only remaking the world, he is in the process of remaking you to look more and more like him, to look more and more like God through faith and following Jesus. You are now in the process of becoming more fully human You are now God's renovation project who by the spirit and obeying and loving Jesus are starting to look more and more like the human beings that we are supposed to be. This means uh, church. 
for all of its shortcomings. Church, the people of God, we are supposed to be this little outpost of heaven and earth merged together. Think about that. Uh, I don't I don't know what baggage or history you have with church, but church, when the people of God are gathered together, it's supposed to look like heaven and earth fusing together. That means when you find a church that is centered on Jesus, when you root your life with them, that you found home. You no longer have this cosmic homelessness. You know God the Father, and you have a family now of brothers and sisters to do life with, and you are experiencing and fighting for each other to experience this heaven and earth reality more and more in your life and in our community. We get to live in this space together where people can experience and encounter Jesus in our community. I mean, that's what the Bible says. The, The Bible doesn't do the drawings. Like if you go to your study Bible in the back with all the maps, you're not going to see this, but, you know, it's a good summary of what's, what the Bible's talking about. Our role as the church now becomes this little meeting place of heaven and earth, and that's what we're striving for. And we know we're not perfect and things are going to happen, but this is our aim, is to be as best we can heaven on earth in our community, striving to obey Jesus and his word, and now as this little place of heaven and earth, our job now is even as we leave this place is to bring heaven to earth wherever we go. N.T. Wright talks about it like this. He says, Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to to colonize earth with the life of heaven. I love that. So like, that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we gather together on Sundays. And this is why we do in part life groups and we want to grow our life groups and raise up leaders and plant new life groups in our city. It's not so that we can be like the big church in town or whatever, because we are not interested in that. What we are interested in is helping colonize to bring heaven down to earth as much as we can by staying faithful to Jesus, obeying his word, trusting the spirit to grow us in our church community to bring heaven more and more down to our earth, in our city, and in our world. That's what we're trying to do here. And the good news is, that will one day happen. And when you go all the way to the book of Revelation, the story of the Bible concludes with heaven and earth coming together once and for all, where God's people, being a Jesus-centered family on mission, bring heaven down to earth, and it's finally realized All of us, God and human beings, living in this overlapping space, last graph for us, living in this overlapping space, fully human, experiencing the fullness of God. That is the story of the Bible, and it's a beautiful one that you and I are invited into, that we can start living into right here, right now. Now, all of that being said, and I'm thinking about me as a kid and the story that I perceived growing up, um, where does hell fit into the picture? I don't know if you're thinking that, but I can't help but wonder like, okay, so how does hell fit into this merging of heaven and earth? What's interesting is when you look at Jesus and how he talks about hell, the word he uses for hell is the Greek word Gehenna. And the word Gehenna was actually like a location, It was a specific geographic location that everyone would have known about. That as he's talking about hell, he's actually talking about a specific place in mind. 
Like if I were saying, and I'm not knocking them, if Jesus were to say like Anderson, right? Not knocking them. I would have no reason to knock them. They seem like great people. But if Jesus were to say that, everyone's minds would immediately go to, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about some place, okay? So when Jesus says Gehenna, he has a geographic place in mind. And this was the place that existed outside the city of Jerusalem. And it was a place where garbage was taken to be burned. Anything that was unwanted or unwelcome, anything that defiled the city, so to speak, was brought to this place outside. So it wasn't this sort of like equal and opposite space of heaven and earth, but the way Jesus talks about it is this place that exists outside of the overlap. That's how Revelation talks about it. Heaven and and earth are reconciled together, and hell is seen as this place, this garbage dump outside of the space where the things that are unwanted and unwelcomed by God and humans in the overlap are fully removed. All the things that are corrupt and are not of heaven and earth, they go there. So think about it like this. As human beings, there are things, Christian and non-Christian, we can all agree on that we hate, that we don't like, that they exist in the world that we cannot stand. Things like cancer. Like we can all agree, Christian and non-Christian, we all agree that we hate that. We want to get rid of it completely. There are some things we downright hate that we see human beings do in the world that we cannot stand. Things like sex trafficking, things like abuse, we see that and all of us, I think, can collectively agree like we can't stand that stuff and we long for that to get out of the world. We see the problem and we want that to be fixed. And because Jesus is in the business of reconciling all of existence, that means he hates that stuff too. And he wants it gone from this world more than you do. But it goes deeper than that because Jesus does not just want to do away with sex trafficking. He wants to do away with all forms of lust in the human heart. Jesus doesn't just want to do away with abuse. He wants to do away with all forms of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that exists in the human heart. And God, out of his love for the world to reconcile heaven and earth together, he will make sure that sin and its effects will not get the final word. He will remove all sin and all of its consequences away from this heaven and earth reality once and for all. And this is what hell is for those who choose not to live in the overlap where God reigns as king. God gives human beings the freedom to choose which do you want. Do you want to live life on your own terms or do you want to live life on mine where heaven and earth exist? C.S. Lewis, I think, has one of the most helpful ways of talking about hell. He says, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. It's, it's this place where it's like, uh, do you want to follow me as king? If so, I have this space for you where you can live life according to me. You're letting me call the shots. Do you want me to call the shots? If so, I have this space for you. But if you want to call the shots to your life, I have this space for you too. Furthermore, it's like that's, that stuff, that's available to us now. If you want to follow after King Jesus, let him call the shots. You can experience heaven on earth right now and after. But in the same way, if you just want to follow your own path, if you, do, if you don't want to follow King Jesus, some of us are living in hell right now. 
And Jesus, he's, he gives us the freedom to choose. Which one do you want? Now, I hear all of that, and uh, I don't know how your brain works with things uh, or how that makes you think or feel, but here's, here's the things that I'm thinking about here. If this is, if this is uh, what's true of Scripture, that hell is this space for those who choose not to live in the overlap, where we choose sin over Jesus, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at my life, and I'm telling you, there are times in my life where I... Uh, I'm not experiencing the heaven and earth overlap. I'm experiencing in my life at times when I choose sin, I'm experiencing some of that hell on earth. So what do I do with that hell that's inside of me? Like when I'm, you know, I'm a dad with three kids and it's like sometimes they do stuff and I snap. And it's not like a righteous anger sort of thing. It's like I'm impatient and I yell at my kids, and then I have to, a few minutes later, go apologize to my kids and ask and say, kids, I snapped. Daddy needs Jesus. Will you forgive me? And my kids forgive me. It's like in those moments when I snap, I am not bringing heaven down to earth. I'm bringing hell down to earth. So what do I do when I see and I look into my life and I see hell inside of me? What do I do with that? Now, I don't know if you want to be that honest with yourself, but I don't know about you, but that's what it makes me feel. Paul actually predicts that. So let's read this last piece, starting in verse 21 of Colossians. Paul says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what does Jesus do with the hell in us? He reconciled that in himself through his death on the cross. And the good news is, through his resurrection, Jesus demonstrates he has power over death. And this is what's happening in the world, and it's what's happening in your life. By looking like and following Jesus, you can live in this overlap now, and you can live right now in the reality of heaven and earth together with Jesus now. And a day is coming when that reality will be fully and finally realized in you and in the world. This means we hate cancer and the good news of Jesus reconciling heaven and earth together means that cancer will not win. And even if you get that diagnosis, you can have a peace because you live in the overlap now. You can begin to experience a foretaste with Jesus of heaven and earth. This means miscarriages and infertility do not get the final word. Jesus gets the final word over your life and all of creation so that even if you get that heartbreaking news, you can live in the overlap knowing that you are with Jesus. You are living in the space, these two realities of heaven and earth. And there is more and more to come. This means your sin, all forms of anger, all forms of lust and unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart do not win. Jesus wins and he is in the process of getting the hell out of this world and getting the hell out of you. 
because he is before all things. Jesus controls all things. In him, all things hold together. He is in the business of reconciling all things and nothing and no one, no evil, no injustice, not even your sin can overcome him. He is a king and he is a good king who loves you and conquered hell itself so that you can get brought in and experience the kingdom of God here and now and forever. So will you go ahead and will you pray with me?